Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. A reminder, if you're not yet following us on Twitter, it's at podcast underscore TBG and on Instagram at pod underscore TBG. To listen to all of our audio interviews, check us out on Spotify. And if you're not yet subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do so in order to watch and view all of our interviews. Now, without further ado, as ever, I'm your host, Budge, and I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators, Dot and Dej. Gents, how are we? I'm very well. I'm excited for this one. I recall the days when I used to play football manager and Francis is the first scout that I buy to any team that I'm at. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I can certainly relate to that. A lot of people can as well. Uh, Uh, How about you, Dej? How you doing? I'm doing very, very well. Thanks for asking, Budge. You know, we've got a legend here. 24 years of experience picking out the best talent globally all over the world. So it's going to be a pleasure to pick his brain. Absolutely. As the boys have uh, already alluded to, we, of course, are in very well-esteemed company. Uh, and this gentleman is, uh, is an Arsenal man through and through. He uh, actually started his playing career uh, at Arsenal back in 1986 and was a, an FA Youth Cup winner in 1988. He, he's played both in uh, England and in Spain for, for Barcelona. Um, but, of course, as, as Dot alluded to, um, he will be most familiar to a lot of um, people uh, tuning into this interview uh, through um, a football manager and, and also because of the work that he's been doing at uh, Arsenal over the last sort of 24 years. He's a, a very well-respected figure around London, Colney and indeed the world over. Uh, until this summer was Arsenal's uh, longest uh, serving senior scout with uh, over 24 years at the club. Uh, in, in his role as uh, uh, head of international scouting and, of course, had a very strong network in both Europe and South America. Um, he's been directly involved in the acquisitions of players such as uh, Cesc Fabregas, Jose Antonio Reyes, Santi Cazorla, the current Arsenal um, uh, manager in Mikel Arteta, Granite Xhaka, Alexis, Hector Bellerin, Robin Van Persie, and honestly... Wow, the list is endless. We're going to, you know, pick his brains and, and, and get him to chat about his story. So without further ado, we welcome the very special Francis Kajigal to the platform. Welcome, Francis. Welcome, 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 welcome. Thanks, guys. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be, to be with you today. We appreciate that, Francis. Um, as Budge alluded to, you had a playing career. You won the FA Youth Cup under Pat Rice and you had spells in Spain playing for Racing Santander, Club Lemos. So how would you sum up your playing career? Um, well, I had an 11-year professional playing career and I think, if I'm honest, I, I had talent. I was a decent player. Um, but I think um, I had a mediocre um, playing career and I didn't, certainly didn't um, 
achieved the level that I thought I could have uh, achieved um, early on in my career. Okay, so what do you think that was because of? Was that because of yourself, outside influences, not being dedicated to the game? What was it? No, I think I, I think I was very, very dedicated to the game, but I, I do think that I let my focus drop um, on some key, in some key moments in my career, um, especially when I returned to the UK. I had some some very important injuries and some. Uh, important surgeries and operations, uh, which did set me back. But um, I think I lost a little bit of focus and I, I let frustration creep in. Um, something which, um, which you, you, sh you never should do. And you always have to keep a very, very positive uh, focus on the game, especially in elite sport. Um, so I think I had myself to blame. But what it did do is um, it set me in good stead for the future. Uh, and I was able to, to bring a lot of those experiences uh, of mine um, into my, my following work, uh, both as a coach uh, and then as a, a scout. I have a very simple question that I want to ask you, Francis. And that is, what does Arsenal mean to you? Well, I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult for me to sum that up in, in a few words because um, it, if I look back at my life, uh, I joined Arsenal basically just after my 16th birthday. Um, I was playing um, non-league football uh, as a striker at a club called Wembley um, in what was then the Ishmian League. Um, I, got, um, I got an offer to join Arsenal and... Uh, so, if you look at those two years, nearly three years, um, and also the 24 I spent at the club afterwards, it's more than half my life. So, I've spent more than half my life um, at one club. Uh, so, you know, you, you could say it's, um, it's a love story. You know, you could say it's a marriage. Uh, there are people who have spent a lot longer than me you know, at Arsenal Football Club, you know, and, and real club legends, you know, you know, you want people like, obviously, Ken Fryer and Pat Rice and Steve Rowley before me. Um, and, uh, but, you know, it's a club that gave me an education, first and foremost. Uh, it was a club that enabled me to start my professional career as a player. Um, and it was a club that provided me with a platform. Um, in order to, uh, to work to the best of my ability for many, many, many years. So, obviously, um, you know, what I've, whatever I do uh, next in the game and whatever I do next in my life, um, you know, um, I can never forget the time I spent at Arsenal Football Club. So, Francis, how did you keep, like, reinventing yourself and refreshing yourself? Because being at a club for, like, 24 years is a very long period. So what did you do to keep getting better every year? Yeah, I think that's a very, very good question. Um, basically, you know, you, you have to evolve. Um, I think in anything. I don't think it's a question that is specific, that you can use specifically in football. But, obviously... Um, I do have to use it um, specifically within uh, my trade. So uh, just like the game evolves, just like the rules of the game um, change and players and referees have to adapt to the changes in the rules of the game, um, in my profession, you have to do the same. Uh, what tends to adapt more than anything are, is technology, IT, um, so we've all had to cope with uh, new technologies, with new IT. We've also had the possibility of a lot of football platforms, uh, a lot more video scouting, um, a lot more tools and resources that we didn't have when I certainly when I started scouting. So um, you, you basically have to adapt and evolve and never stand still. That would be the key. Never stand still. Yeah, so Francis, you're known as, you know, the king of scouting, the king, of player, <laughs> <laughs> the king of player ID, identifying talent. How do you go about this process? Like, what's the, let me say, top three key minerals 
you look at when you're identifying a player? Okay. Well, I think you first you'd have to identify in terms of when you, when you talk about those minerals or aspects, key aspects that you're looking for. Um, I would say that, that first and foremost, if you're working for a club like Arsenal, you're already basically taking into account that they have to have that minimum level of talent and that minimum level technically, that minimum level tactically, that minimum level physically, that minimum level mentally. So once we, 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 we know that they do have, um, they are in those parameters and those metrics, then I would say the most important would be really, um, for me, a hunger and a desire, um, an ambition and a drive to be a top player. Because there are many, many top players, there are many, many gifted players, but they don't necessarily have that hunger and that drive to succeed. You know, um, you've got to remember, young players now, they, they earn a lot of money at a very, very young age, you know. So they can. I talked before about losing focus um, in some aspects of my own career. And I think young players can, can take their eye off the ball sometimes, um, can lose a little bit of focus, can lose a little bit of perspective. Um, so I think what we, what we look for in, in top young players is that drive, is that ambition, intelligence, you know. Now, intelligence obviously does not need to necessarily be linked to academic intelligence. Mm. There are all forms of intelligence, yeah. Now, for me, um, in football and, and in elite sports, certainly, it's very important that players know their strengths and know their weaknesses, you know, to be able to keep doing the things that they do well and to be able to improve in those areas that they know that they can improve on those weaknesses. So I would say it's a combination of uh, ambition, of drive, uh, of hunger and of intelligence Francis I think that's a perfect insight into you know scouting players because we hear it a lot um, in today's game maybe some player doesn't have you know the biggest talent but they've got the hard work they've got the drive they've got the motivation and they've got that passion and desire to get to the top of the game would you say that's more important than just raw talent I think when you get to the top spectra to the top level um i don't think i think you need both if you're talking about an elite an elite performer you need to have the talent and you need to have the mindset i think if you're talking to somebody who's going to have a good career um then possibly they you know they can be a seven out of ten in one or the other but i think if you're talking about an elite top premiership player or an elite top player in, in any of the other top leagues, or certainly an international level player, they have to have a very, very, very strong mindset. Uh, and obviously, that has to be accompanied with the, the minimum level of talent, as I said before. And, and just to follow up from that, Francis, so it's, it's interesting that you highlight those particular minerals and, and, and qualities that you, you look for. In some cases, they might be diff more difficult to... Um, identify and, and, and pick out then, you know, the, 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 the skills and attributes that are sort of easier to, 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 to um, you know, pick out on, on, on certain players. So my question is, when you're looking for those kind of things, you know, how far do you go in terms of um, really, I guess, using the network of a, 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 of a particular player and an individual? Is it just looking at them Re uh, regularly over a period of time in, in game situations or is there an element of speaking to people who are close to, to, to kind of get a bit of an understanding of their mentality, their psyche and that kind of thing? Yeah, I think it's a combination. Obviously, for confidentiality reasons, you can't go into some of those methods. Um, but um, I would say that there are, um, I would say, tools of the trade um, that you can use um, when you're watching and identifying players. You know, um, I would say sometimes, you know, the, the combination, you can't, when you're watching players, you need 
to combine um, the, those viewings over a period of time. You need to combine those viewings on, in different um, atmospheres against different sides, against different uh, challenges. You know, uh, sometimes it might be you're watching a young player and you might be watching him on a poor pitch. You know, you might be watching him against older competition. You know, he might be playing a year or two up, you know. So basically, you're looking to see how he can cope mentally. You might be sure about his uh, technical uh, aspects. You might know that he's got the level of technique and that physically he can, you know, you, you, you're projecting that he might be a top performer in the future. Uh, but obviously, to be able to look a little bit deeper um, mentally into his uh, makeup and his armour, you have to see him in different situ situations. And basically, what you want to see is you want to see them under situations of stress to see how they cope with that stress, you know, because it's all and well saying we've, you've got talent, but we all know that in the end, to be a, an elite performer, you know, you have to go through situations of stress. You have to go through setbacks. You know, this is a physical sport and it's a mentally very challenging sport. So um, you have to do everything that you can um, within the, the tools and the resources that you have to, to try and make sure that you get it right when you're looking at a player. And you're not always going to get it right. Of course, of course. Um, Francis, when you look at players... Where do you stand on the nature versus nurture argument type of thing? Because there's a debate that goes around. Some players are just naturally gifted. They've got it, God-given talent. And some other players, they haven't got the skills, but they work hard. They work hard day in, day out to try and acquire those skills. Yeah, it's, it's another very, very good question. And um, I would say that there are players, undoubtedly, that were born with... Um, undoubted uh, capacity for the game. When you look at somebody like Diego Maradona, you know, it, it's obvious he was born with natural talent. But I would say, and, and some of the best coaches in the world say, and some of the, you know, mentors that I've had uh, have said it. So, you know, you don't necessarily have to take it from me that talent isn't enough. Talent isn't enough. Um, it certainly might be for a, for a Maradona or for a Messi, but even they had to really work at the game, you know? Um, I'm sure that when they, you know, when they were growing up, you know, in, um, in their areas, there were certainly a few people willing to, you know, to, to, to rub their studs down the back of their legs <laughs> week in, week out. And, uh, you know, again, that mental toughness and again, that application and that love for the game um, I would say that in the majority of, majority of the players and with the challenge that is elite professional football nowadays and with the demands of the game, I would say that talent isn't enough and you have to work at your game every day, you know. And this is not just professional football. I think it's whatever you want to do in your life, you know. It's, you have to work at it. You have to work at it because there's going to be someone around the corner, you know, that's going to be very, very, very willing you know, to take up that spot if you don't want to do it. So if you don't want to get up at 9, 9 a.m., don't you worry. There's going to be someone that's going to get up at 8 a.m., uh, you know, and they're going to get in front of that queue before you do. Yeah. So I don't think talent mm. is enough. You know what? I, I wanted to um, go back to something that um, Dot mentioned a little earlier um, when he was talking about sort of evolution and, and how you've continued to sort of uh, adapt and evolve over, over the, uh, the time that you were at Arsenal practice. And what I wanted to ask is um, n how things have changed in terms of uh, the, the eye test versus data. So obviously we're hearing now um, that, that data is, is, is used more um, uh, commonly when in sort of uh, the, the process when you're, when you're looking at um, signing new players and whatnot. And I guess, you know, I, I really wanted to unpick that a bit more. And, and how, was, how has that changed over... Uh, you know uh, the years in terms of you know when you were first sort of starting out in the in, in the game and and so how how, how um, much um, you know uh, scouting de de departments are reliant on on uh, the data driven um, model in, in this day and age. 
Yeah. Um, well, look, it, it's it's an it's a you know I I I refuse to even make it an argument. There's a lot of people who are out there who want to make this an argument. Um, you've also got to remember, there's a lot of money in football, and there's a lot of interest in football. Um, so you know, some of these arguments are very money and interest driven. Um, what I would say is that any resource and any tool that is going to make you more efficient is something you need to bring on board and work with. But I do think you have to get your percentages right. And I also think that, and I've worked with data these past few years and we've had it at Arsenal and we've, we've had to work hand in hand with it. Um, and we've had no real issues doing so. Um, I think, uh, also, those numbers and those data, and that data has to be interpreted, you know. It doesn't just have to be interpreted by data scientists. It needs to be interpreted by people on the technical side of the game because it, then uh, it needs to be used, put to work, yeah. Now, one side of, of the data argument is recruitment and scouting. Um, I think that's for every um, club to tailor those resources to their particular needs. Um, but I would say that data and analytics um, are used in a whole spectra of, of other things at football clubs, not just recruitment, you know, identification of injuries and uh, um, physiology, um, physical preparation. Um, they, it's used across the board, you know. Um, but I would say that when people use this argument of scouts v um, analytics. I tend to hit back by saying, what's a scout? A scout is a football analyst. A scout analyzes players. That's what a scout does. That's what a scout does best. Um, he analyzes and he x-rays football players. Um, um, he x-rays them for their <laughs> talent. He x-rays them for their physical, technical, and mental capabilities. So I don't like this argument of one v the other. You know, it's 2020. You know, we all have technology. It's not just a case of having numbers and having data. It's being able to use it efficiently. Um, and it's also being able to combine all your resources, the trained eye, the experienced trained eye. One thing is the trained eye. Another thing is the experienced mm -hmm. trained eye. Two different things. But what I would say in the end, in the end, if somebody does want to make an argument of this, and it's certainly not me, I would say go to the track record. Does the scout or does the experienced eye have a track record of consistently recommending top-level players? And does that data analyst or that uh, service also, has it also provided an app or has it also got a track record of having recommended top level players? And I think in the end, you go to that track record more than anything else. Um, certainly not to the argument of uh, the data versus the trained eye, because uh, as any top level club will tell you, you need both. Yeah, and I think you're a classic example of that. You've got the trained eye, you know, your resume speaks for itself. And when you look at other people in the game, like a Michael Edwards at Liverpool, his record is stacking up with the data side of things. So I think that shows that both sides of the coin can coexist together. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you, if you, go, if you go specifically to Liverpool, I think you'll find that, you know, they've got people like uh, Barry Hunter and Dave Fallows. Yeah, Ian Graham. Uh, experienced scouts working with Michael Edwards. And then, of course, they have a top, top level coach, manager. Um, so I think when I talked about percentages, you know, I think if any club these past few years has got their percentages right, it's probably Liverpool, at least in the Premiership. Yeah, another thing I wanted um, to speak about, Francis, is you as an individual honing your skills because there's a lot of coaches and scouts that actually listen to the platform. How have you gone about like learning your craft, becoming better and better to the stage where after 24 years, you're one of the most coveted and respected um, scouts in the game? 
Well, I would say it's a combination of various things. It's not, it's not one particular thing. And I certainly don't believe anyone's got, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly don't think I was touched by an angel and suddenly became a, <laughs> uh, you know, a, a, a top level scout. I don't think it works that way. I think I was very, very lucky to work with um, top people. Uh, you know, and as my mum used to, used to say to me, you know, um, growing up on a council estate by the Vauxhall Bridge Road, you know, uh, you've got two ears and you've got one mouth, you know, and that's got to be the ratio. That's got to be a ratio. You've got to listen more and talk less so that when you, when you do talk, you're prepared to talk. Um, and I think I, I, I was able to, to listen and learn from some very, very experienced and wise people I grew up in a crazy, uh, you know, um, football mad family um, and, and where football was, was a religion, uh, you know, with my dad and with my brother. And, um, you know, then I, I, I played uh, professionally, I coached professionally. Um, and then finally, um, I became a scout. And it wasn't, uh, you know, a predetermined thing. I would say I arrived at being a scout by accident. Uh, it's not what I was looking at doing at that uh, particular phase in my, in my life. I was looking at being a coach, you know? And I think to a certain extent, a lot of scouts are frustrated coaches, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I would say that there's no particular, um, there's no best way of getting from route A to route B or C. You know, just like sometimes if you're stuck in the middle of London, you know, you're thinking, is the cab best? Is jumping on the tube best? Is jumping on the bus best? You know, because sometimes, you know, you never know what's going to be quicker. And I think uh, this is the same. I think you, you do have to try and listen and try and work to, with as many uh, talented people as possible. And I was lucky to be able to do that. You have to be as qualified as possible. And now there are very good courses um, for example, I'm a tutor and I've been a teacher on the uh, technical director's course at Spanish FA for the last 11 years. Um, there are good courses being run um, for scouts uh, at FA level. Um, and I think um, basically you have to follow your own path, but um, it's obvious that it, as much qualified as you can be and having the possibility to work with or at least listen to uh, talented and qualified people is always going to be a, a big, big help to anybody who, who wants to work in this side of the game. What's your take on, you know, the money ball philosophy? Because, you know, we mentioned Liverpool earlier. They use a lot of data. Brentford in the championship, one of the most, you know, greatly run clubs in the country. Is it possible to buy a player simply on data? I mean, I think that's an opinion. And again, um, I don't think, uh, I don't know if anybody's done it, uh, mm. to tell you the truth. I, I, I would probably say not. I, I would also say baseball is a very different game uh, to football. You know, if you analyse uh, the intricate nature of baseball, I think you'll find, with all due respect to baseball, um, that football is a far more complex and certainly a far more dynamic game. Um, so I think the, 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 the data you can use for baseball is certainly not the same type of data you would, would want to be looking at or the same parameters that you would want to be looking at in football. <coughs> Excuse me. I would also say that, um, for example, if you're going back to Moneyball, you know, which really was based on Bill James and, um, um, and, and, and a lot of the metrics, Sabre metrics that he created in 1973. Um, I would say that, that if you go deep into that, um, you know, there are some inaccuracies as well. You know, we saw in the film, yeah, certainly, good film. the longtime serving scout, Grady Fusion, um, you know, fall out with Billy Bean. Um, yes, he did leave the club. And yes, in those years, um, the Oakland A's were, were using a 70 to 30% ratio data over scouts. 
what we've seen is that Grady Fusen has returned to the Oakland days two years ago as special assistant to Billy Bean. Um, and now, according to Grady Fusen and his uh, comments in the San Francisco Herald, uh, the club has reverted to a 60 to 40 scout over data ratio mm. um, when, they, when they assess players. Uh, what I will say is, like I said before, um, I don't think it's an argument. I think uh, both have to work together. I think it's a question of, of getting it right, getting what's right for your club, uh, tailoring what's right for your club. What may be right for one club's culture is not right for another club's culture. Um, maybe one club has more or, or less resources. So, so you have to look at those resources. You have to look at that club culture. And then you have to identify what's best for your club. I don't think that there's one perfect fit for every club. Great stuff. Um, so, Francis, I, I have a question for you that I'm hoping you, you, you're able to answer. And, and that question is, now we're, we're just sort of dialing into um, uh, a bit more about the, uh, the, the work that you were doing at Arsenal. And if you could pinpoint one particular player um, that you recommended to the club to sign that we that that the that Arsenal didn't sign that you regret. Is there is there a single player that that comes to mind? There's a lot of players that come to mind, but there's none that I can talk about. Um, right. You know that would enter into confidentiality. Um, mm -hmm. Also, I I I prefer to to you know to concentrate on the ones we did sign rather mm -hmm. than the ones that, you know, that got away. You know, you could talk about, you know, you've got to remember uh, scouting departments and recruitment departments don't sign football players. Clubs sign football players. And there's a lot of people working um, in, the, in the transfer or the registration of a football player. Yes, it all be begins with a recommendation. Uh, so I would say that within the department in the years that I've worked there, we probably must have had four to five, maybe in some cases, some seasons, six players that we recommended very, very strongly that we couldn't sign for one reason or for another, even if uh, the hierarchy or the manager uh, did agree, which a lot of the times they did, but we just for one reason or for another couldn't sign those players. But as I said to you at the start, I prefer to concentrate on the ones that, that we did get over the line uh, and not the ones that, that we didn't. Yeah, talking about the signings that you got over the line, I would love to talk about Emi Martinez, um, Saliba. These are players that I believe you were heavily involved with. I want to first of all start off with Emi. Obviously, he's come into the Arsenal team, had a flourishing spell towards the back end of last season and was sold to Aston Villa. What was it about Emmy that you found, yeah, this guy can be a professional footballer? Well, I, I saw Emmy for the first time in uh, 2009 uh, in Chile, in a town called, in a city called Iquique, on the coast in, um, in Chile, um, playing in the South American Under-17 Championships. He was playing for Argentina. I think it was Argentina-Ecuador, and I think the score was 1-1. Um, he just impressed me by his all-over demeanor. Obviously, fantastic physical potential, you know. Already six foot three then, grew into a six foot five goalkeeper. Um, quick for his size. Uh, good with his feet. Good distribution. Very solid shot stopper. At the time, I, I, I think I, I probably... Uh, told various people that he was the best young goalkeeper I'd ever seen. Wow. Um, so after that, it was just a question of, of getting, getting it right. You know, he hadn't turned 18 yet. So until he was 18, we couldn't do it. We were able to bring him in for a few weeks because Jerry Payton wanted to have a look at him as well. Um, Jerry being our, our goalkeeping coach, our head goalkeeping coach um, at the time. And, uh, Jerry was in total agreement with us and, uh, and we were able to, to bring Emmy in for what at the time was a, a very, very small fee. 
um, I think, you know, that the, the club have, have, have you know, um, have now, you know, gained um, a very, very big fee, or you could say, especially in these COVID times. Um, and Emmy is one of those uh, players that I'm sort of proudest of, really, because the way he's coached and what he's had to come through uh, to show his quality and how patient he's had to be and how professional he's had to be. Um, personally, I think uh, Emmy is already, in my opinion, in the best 15, 20 goalkeepers in the world. And I wow. think he'll only get better. Another player that you recommended to Arsenal was Cesc Fabregas at a very young age. What is it about that player that made you know that he's going to take to the Premier League like a duck to water and be one of the best midfielders we've seen grace English football? Well, you know, there's always an element um, of surprise along the way. And, and one thing is knowing, and we strongly believe that, that Cesc would be a top, top um, player. But, you know, we didn't expect him to do it so quickly and in the fashion that he did. You know, I think what he did was remarkable and it was a credit to, to, to himself, to the player and to the person. Um, very, extremely talented footballer, fantastic football brain, you know. Um, we talk about, you know, technology. You know, Cesc Fabregas had a GPS in his brain when he played football, you know. <laughs> So um, um, we're talking about someone who understood the game and the, and the essence of the game from such an early age. Um, remarkable, really. And um, someone who was, you know, who had very strong drive, you know, um, all those things we spoke about before, I spoke about before, that hunger, that drive, that ambition, that determination, that single-mindedness, you know, he was all of those. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that he was, you know, Arsenal's youngest player at the time and Arsenal's youngest captain at the time, I think, uh, you know, tells you everything about his story and his journey. Uh, absolutely. Uh, another player that I wanted to pick your brains on, Francis, was um, uh, Gabriel Martinelli. Now, this one in particular is an interesting one because he's still very young. And at the time that Arsenal signed him, he was playing for Ituano out in Brazil. And I think they were in the Brazilian uh, second or third division? Fourth. Um, four, oh, fourth division, even. Um, yeah. and, and this was his, his first season playing uh, in, in the first team at, at Ituano, right? Yes. So how, how did that come about? And, 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 you know, why were the clubs so confident in, in, in making, you know, you know or, t or taking such a, a big risk? Because... You know, they, they, he, was, he was a relatively unproven talent and, and, and there was, uh, you know, a bit of outlay that we, we, uh, the club had to, um, to, to pay to, to acquire his services. Yeah, I mean, we knew about Gabby uh, probably a year and a half to two years before we signed him. Uh, so he's a player we had tracked uh, and a player that... Um, I'd had tracks in, in, in Brazil um, via Everton, um, scout in Brazil. Um, so it was just a question of uh, keeping the, the tabs and the tracking on the player. Um, it, there was a situation where we thought we were going to lose the player because um, we, I wanted to bring him in on trial so we could have a look at him, but that wasn't possible. Um, Manchester United and Barcelona were able to take him on trial during those periods. Um, luckily for us, you know, they turned the player down. Um, then after watching the player um, in the uh, Sao Paulo under-20 Copa, La Taza Sao Paulo, um, and then in his initial uh, first few games playing in the Paulista tournament, um, I went back and... Uh, my decision was, was very, very clear. My recommendation was very, very clear and very, very strong. Um, the scouting team that I put together to watch uh, Gabby with me um, backed my judgment 100%. And uh, luckily, the club did too. 
Um, for me, it's, it's, it's not um, a big gamble. Those type of players are small gambles. But, you know, to use a phrase that I, that I don't usually like using, but to me at the time, it was certainly a no-brainer. No. You know, because the boy possessed all the attributes that you're looking for in a potential um, top striker, you know, uh, quick acceleration, uh, good first touch, uh, good shooting ability, brave, instinctive, um, good awareness of space, good timing of runs, uh, hunger and desire, willing to compete, um, you know, shows real application in everything he does. Very strong-minded. And, um, and you were confident so that he, he could make the step up as well, Francis? Because you, you mentioned there that, that he was playing in the, in the fourth division, so you were confident that he'd be able to apply his trade right at the top level. I think, you know, you, you get to the point where you look at the player and you look at his, his, the attributes he has and you look at that mentality and that mindset he has. Um, and then, you know, you, you, it's not just my, my judgment. Um, you know, I also have people around me and, and, you know, and we talk and we analyze and we look into uh, um, very in-depth into the player and into his possibilities. But um, then in the end, it's down to the player. Um, what you don't expect in some situations is for the player to come on as quickly as they do, you know, like a Fabregas, like a Martinelli, you know. You probably expect this maybe the same thing to happen, but maybe one year down the line, you know, or 18 months down the line. But, you know, those players have adapted uh, amazingly well, have taken everything in their stride. And, and Gabby certainly has, you know, and, and he's, you know, you look at him at, you know, 18, 19 years old and, and, you, and you're looking at someone who's a real professional, you know, the way he conducts himself, the way he trains, the way he look up, looks after himself, you know, uh, you're looking at somebody who's, who's got, um, I think, an, an amazing career ahead of him. Yeah, Francis, there's so much more we want to ask you. I know, you know, we've got a few minutes. There's still Wenger, Arteta. There's so much more we want to, you know, maybe pick your brain about. You fire. You fire. I'm here to, <laughs> I'm here to talk. Okay, yeah. So we want to talk about the past and also the present. When you mention Arsenal, you know, it's synonymous with Arsene Wenger. He's a massive legend of the game. Him and Ferguson, the two best managers of the Premier League era, in my opinion. So how was it working with Arsene Wenger? Because I can imagine as a head scout, chief scout at Arsenal, sometimes you may feel as if your opinion isn't valued. But I've read and I've researched, and it seems that you and Arsene Wenger had this great synergy. So how was your relationship with him? Well, I think I've said in the past already that one thing is to begin your career as a scout in a premiership or a, or a top club. And another thing is to do it under Arsene Wenger. And I was uh, very fortunate um, to work with Arsene Wenger and with Steve Rowley, who was chief scout at the time, and somebody who has to take enormous credit for, for um, the, the initiation of Arsenal's global scouting system. Um, I think, obviously, this was devised by, um, by, by Arsene. Um, and you could say that he was the mentor for, for this project. But then Steve did a lot, a hell of a lot of the groundwork, you know. And, um, you know, and, and I think myself and someone like Damien Camoli, I think, were like the first additions to that global scouting network. And, and certainly I had a um, good feeling always in everything that I did with Steve. Uh, we were on the same page and on the same wavelength in a lot, a lot of things, uh, and a lot of our, our views on players, on scouting, uh, on the game. And then we were very, very lucky to be able to do it alongside somebody like Arsene Wenger, you know, um, an absolutely brilliant uh, manager and brilliant man. Arsene Wenger had a massive, you know, impact at Arsenal, and he was in, you know, he say was very, very powerful at the club. But do you think that almost hindered the club when it came to the next manager, Unai Emery? 
I mean, it's not really for me to say in the sense that, um, you know, I don't think Arsene had any part to play in that. And, um, you know, it was a different set of people who decided who the next uh, manager of the club would be. So, um, not really, you know, because by the time the club made the decision on the next manager, I think the shackles were off um, and, and the club was in a situation where it could move forward. But I, I get your, your question. I get your, your, what, what you're asking me. And, and you know, there's always going to be a legacy. There's always going to be a legacy left behind. You know, I think Liverpool had it after Bill Shankly, you know, um, Manchester United after uh, Alex Ferguson and certainly Arsenal after Arsene Wenger, yeah. Okay, so what sort of legacy uh, do you think Arsene Wenger left behind as well? Because towards the end, things kind of soured a bit. There was a section of fans that maybe thought Arsene Wenger was, you know, treating the club as his own, not bearing the fans in mind. And you could hear there was chanting, screaming from sections of the fans. So how do you think Arsene Wenger's legacy would be, would be remembered? It's very simple. The most successful manager in the history of the club. And if that's not enough for, for anybody, then I don't know what is. Yeah, because some Arsenal fans said, you know, I've got many Arsenal friends and they said Arsene Wenger overstayed his welcome. Like, what do you have to say to things like that? I would say that you can't please everyone, you know. Um, I would say that sometimes, you know, um, sometimes we have to eat our food, and we, but we don't necessarily like it. Um, it's, you know, you can't please everybody in life. <laughs> and you also can't go about your life just looking to please others because you end up not doing your own work properly or efficiently. I think there's always, always going to be detractors. Um, but I also do think that, you know, just because somebody um, shouts or shouts louder you know, he's not necessarily right. Mm. No, I'd leave that, it at that. Yeah, no, that makes uh, sense. Absolutely put. That's fair enough. And obviously we're talking about the current manager, Arteta. This is someone that obviously we're involved in scouting as well. And you've sort of seen him go through the system. Young player, model pro, established right to where he is now as a manager. What is it about Mikel that makes him stand out in terms of this leadership role? Because in my opinion, we've seen that transition, you know, in the Arsenal side from when he took charge last season. There's a clear method behind the madness in terms of what he's doing. So how would you describe Mikel? Well, Mikel was a, a player that I first got to see when he was 15 years old, playing for Antiguoco uh, in San Sebastian uh, before he signed for, for Barcelona. And, uh, you know, Barcelona actually beat us uh, to the signature of the player. I think we were a little bit slow to react at the time. And, um, and you know, Mikel joined Barcelona. Um, a player whose career I've always followed very, very closely. Um, you know, a very, very well-balanced, uh, an intelligent uh, playmaker and central midfielder. Um, also somebody with... Uh, the right attitude, competitive. And I think he's taken all those qualities into his coaching and managerial career. And I also think that the three years he did, or that apprenticeship, so to call under Pep Guardiola, um, is, has been absolutely vital for, for Mikel as a coach and as a manager. Um, and I think um, he is, in my opinion, the ideal manager for Arsenal Football Club and I think he'll be um, a very successful coach and manager um, if he has a little bit of luck because everybody uh, along the way has to have a little bit of luck. Um, yes, you make your own luck but, um, you know, by getting up every morning working hard but um, I think if, he, if, if things go for him and he has those breaks which everybody has to have in life, I think he'll be a very, very successful manager. 100%. I, I certainly agree with that sentiment, Francis. Um, another question I wanted to ask you was that over the, the past 24 years, of course, you, you've worn many hats and your role has, has evolved and changed. Um, 
and, and I wanted to dial into a particular um, uh, role that you had uh, for seven years, which was uh, a Champions League opponent's uh, uh, analysis and, and uh, assessor. Yeah. I wanted to just sort of dial into that to understand what that kind of role entailed. And, and when we're looking at sort of preparation for uh, uh, a Champions League fixture, you know, just how much uh, time and effort and, and preparation does go, go into those, those fixtures. Yeah, I mean, at the time, um, I was combining that role with, um, with scouting in Europe. And um, what we would do at the time, things have changed, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll get to that, I'll progress to that. Um, at the time, we would watch, uh, once we knew who our rivals were in the Champions League, myself and uh, ex-coach ex and ex-manager and ex-player at Arsenal, Stuart Houston, um, we would take on the role of uh, an, of analysing and assessing our, our our Champions League rivals. So we would usually do this over three games prior to uh, to the fixture against them. Um, what that involved was travelling out to the games, watching them in live um, live scouting, um, then video scouting, um, profiling and detailed reports um, with the use of, of video. Obviously, now with the amount of technology that we have, uh, there's a lot more video scouting um, and it can be a lot more detailed. Um, to give you one example, when you look at set pieces, you know, I remember in some games taking a camera with me and, uh, and taking a, a photo of the set piece, you know, just before the player was, imagine it was a corner, just before a player struck the corner, took the corner, you know, you would take a photo there, you would try and take another one of the movement, you know, and you would try and, and take six or seven flash shots, start to finish the set piece. Wow. Um, obviously, with modern day technology, you don't have to do that anymore. It does it for you. Um, but yeah, they, they were, it, it was, for me, it was a very, um, it was a very important, role in which uh, one that I enjoyed immensely you know um, we also got to the Champions League final during the during that period um, and um, it because it, it brought me back to the the uh, analytical side the tactical side of the game uh, the, the side of the game that I enjoyed so much as a coach so um, and then obviously you know you, you were able to talk to the manager uh, and to the coaches um, about the the team and the opponents, um, and you would you know look for the especially for the strengths and the weaknesses. You know what could you exploit, you know, um, and what did you really not have to let them uh, exploit? Um, so so it was a, it was a very very interesting and uh, for me very fruitful period. Yes, yeah, so um, Francis, obviously now we know that you finally left Arsenal. I read this statement from Vinay Venkateshan saying that he's been having sleepless nights over the decision to lay off 55 of Arsenal's um, staff, including yourself. There was major furore. Well, I, I wasn't actually a redundancy, but, but yeah, for confidentiality reasons, I, I can't go into my own um, uh, agreement. Okay, so you've actually left the club after 24 years at the beginning of this um, podcast, you said it was a marriage and obviously it ended in acrimonious circumstances. So what's your feeling towards the way that you left the club? How do you feel towards Arsenal? First and foremost, um, I've got, you know, for me, working at Arsenal Football Club was a privilege. You know, um, I'm very, very thankful uh, to the club as an institution you know, because the club's an institution. Um, you don't just look at people who were there in the past, people who are there now. Uh, you look at the institution uh, in itself uh, and the legacy a lot of those people have left along the way. Um, and I, I'm very, very fortunate to be able to have worked with some incredible people uh, alongside fantastic people um, incredible uh, top-level scouts um, and some real professionals and some real lovely people also um, away from, from, the, from the technical 
um, aspects of, of the club. Um, and, and for me, it was, it's an absolute privilege. And I, look ba- I will always look back on, on, on my time at Arsenal as firstly a, a long and magnificent learning curve. Um, and secondly, as um, you know, I will look back on it with great fondness. Um, you know, an institution where I spent more than half my life. So uh, I do say, like I've said before, that you can't afford to be bitter in life and you have to look forward, never backwards, you know, and you can't stand still. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm looking forward. um, But if I'm asked to reflect on my time at Arsenal, I'll say that, you know, humbly that for me, it was an absolute privilege to have spent half my life at that club. Francis, obviously you had 24 years of service. And I remember at the time when, you know, it got released that you're leaving the club, there was a few reports coming out that some of the players were very disgruntled at this. Do you have any insight to share with us on, you know, what Not really. There's not really a lot I can add on that. And as I said before, you know, I I prefer to look forward and, and... you know, not look back and certainly not look back with any bitterness, you know. Um, And I can only really uh, be objective and look at the part that I'm involved in and I can't really speak for anybody else. Because when you look at Arsenal, there seems to be like a realigning at the top. Obviously, Sven Mislintat, he left. Raul Sanlihai, he left. Um, Obviously, you've also left. And it seems Arsenal's being much more agent-driven at the moment with the involvement of Kia Jurabchin. Do you have any sort of comment to make in the direction or on the direction that Arsenal are moving in? No. (laughs) (laughs) As the restructure was going on, did you almost think, okay, my time may be coming to an end soon as there was so much, you know, changes behind the scene? Um, you know, when you're, when you're at a club for such a long time, you know, um, you always think, and especially in professional football, you, you always think there might be changes, but to tell you the truth, I've always just got on with my job. Uh, I'm not thinking about changes. You know, if somebody wants to change, they, you know, they, 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 it's very easy. You know, you come and have a chat and and, and we talk about it, but you know, I've always been one to just get on with my job and not to think about. Uh, not think too much about what could happen or what can happen. Um, so I've, I've always looked at it from, from that side. And also, I'll tell you what, you know, when I walked in through the door all them years ago, I didn't think I was going to last this long, you know. I don't think anyone did. So, um, so you know, like they say in cricket, I've had a good innings. Um, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can look back with... A lot of fun moments, a lot, a lot, a lot of great moments, you know, um, a great period in my life, very important period in my life. Um, but now I look forward, I look forward with excitement to, uh, to a new chapter in my life. Yeah, so let's look forward. Um, obviously, a lot of people asked us, oh, why did Francis leave? And they wanted to know the circumstances, but it's fully understood due to confidentiality reasons. You can't really go into it. So let's look ahead. So in terms of the next project, what are the boxes you're looking for to be ticked before you deciding to go into your new venture? Yeah. Again, you are, you, you've consistently all asked the right questions. So, so I'm, I'm very, very uh, glad to have come, come on here tonight with you because um, I think you're very, very intelligent and you, you ask the right questions. Um, I would say that, you know, what I want is a project where I can really, you know, sink my teeth into something where I know that I can bring real value um, to that. I think I'm at a moment in my life with a lot of experience, um, a lot to bring to the table uh, in terms of my skill set, my particular skill skill set in in within the areas of uh, scouting, recruitment. Um, I'm a licensed technical director um, as well. So what I want really is uh, reflect a little bit, not jump into the deep end maybe immediately. Um, I'm in a situation where I need to listen very carefully. 
Um, you know what my mum used to say to me, two ears, one mouth, listen more than you speak. <laughs> yep. so, yeah. so, so at the moment, that's what I want to do. I want to listen to, to people. I want to listen to ideas. Um, and when I think that, you know, that I'm ready and when I think that those ideas coincide with mine, um, and the project is, is something that I feel is right for me. Well then, then I'll be ready to, to, to assume a new project. Absolutely. I think that's, that's, that's great to hear. And you know what? I, I had one other question that I wanted to ask you, Francis, and, and that was just a, a, genuinely, can you, or, uh, or do you just um, enjoy watching a football game? Especially now that you've got a bit more downtime, right? Can you just watch it from a very neutral perspective? Or are you, is your analytical scout hat on all the time? So you're always looking at things in a, in a, in a, in a different way to like a, a, a football you Can you just enjoy a football game? Or are you always... That is a brilliant. That is a brilliant question. But I would say that you know, if I if I'm watching um, a professional football game and I or or an elite football game, uh, yeah, it's difficult for me to just watch it like you know, just enjoy it, you know, and jump up off my seat if someone scored a great goal. You know, uh, I would say that that part is is difficult for me. But you know, I would say that uh, you know, I often whenever I can, and I don't get many opportunities. But when, if I can go down and watch a, a young kids game, you know, maybe an under 11s and under 12s uh, game, yes, there's going to be moments in the game that you will put on that, you know, that, 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 that coach's hat and, you know, but I like, I very much like watching youth football, um, you know, and even youth parks football, you know. Um, my dad used to run a side um, in West London, you know, uh, just off the Labrador Grove. And, um, and, and they still, to this day, uh, um, they play in, now they're a Saturday uh, team now. And, but, you know, I don't often get the chance to go and watch them. But um, I hope to, once this, this COVID period is past us, I hope to go down there and watch them play, those that Saturday and Sunday league, just for the enjoyment factor, you know? Because um, mm. we must never, never, never lose that essence of the game. And that essence of being a fan, you know, because that's what this sport is all about, really. Mm -hmm. 110%. I mean, Francis, it's been wow. a pleasure to be picking your brain. This has just been, you know, gems upon gems. Yeah. But the final question from me, I know you're a busy man. Has the phone been ringing and has there been any concrete offers regarding your services? You know, like a friend said to me not long ago, he said, don't worry about when the phone's been ringing. You worry when the phone stops ringing, <laughs> you know. Surely um, <laughs> you must have been courted, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's been, you know, there's been some contacts. Yes, there, there has, obviously. But as I said before, you know, I, 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 I need to be, you know, careful and selective about what mm -hmm. my next step is. You know, once you've been mm -hmm. 24 years at Arsenal, you, you, you do need to be very um, selective and careful about um, what the next role is. And I don't want to box myself into one role either. Um, but yes, obviously, there are ty those type of conversations on a, on a daily basis, yes. Thank you, Francis. Yeah, honestly, Francis. This is, Thank this you, is guys. It's been a pleasure for me, really, because the questions you've asked, they've all been really bright and really intelligent. And you don't always get that, you know. And uh, I think you've, you know, you've done your research and uh, I've got to say to you all, well done on a, on a, on a, really, on a really great podcast. Thank you. Much Thank appreciated, you Francis. You. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time. We know you're a busy guy. Uh, but Thanks, we guys. wish you all the best on your, your future endeavours. Take care. See you guys. See ya. Peace. Bye now. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.